girl. Hey. I just came into some new information, <laughs> courtesy of you. Courtesy of me. Would you care to share with the listeners? I would love to. So we're going to talk about Capturing the Freedmans today, and it's by Andrew Jarecki. <laughs> yes. Andrew Jarecki did, uh, he produced Catfish. He was mm-hmm. involved in that. The Happy Jinx. Fourth, yay freedom. Happy yay freedom, everybody. The Jinx. Before that, All Good Things, which was like loosely based about Robert Durst starring Ryan Gosling and Kirsten Dunst, because of course. And he also composed the theme song to a little show called Felicity that was sung by J.J. Abrams, who also is like the executive producer of Felicity. Wait, J.J. Abrams sings the theme song to Felicity? Yes. Can you become... Can you become a new version of you? It's on YouTube. It's like by J.J. Abrams sings it? Yes! And he, it's like the executive producer, J.J. Abrams, all four seasons of Felicity, the good, the bad, the ugly. And I love Felicity. I watch it like once a year. So this is coming from, a, I'm a fan. Hi, Jillian Pensavalli. Hey, Patrick Hines. What on earth are we talking about today? Oh, capturing the Freedmans and all my feelings about them. <laughs> capturing Jillian's feelings about the Freedmans. You would have to wonder what kind of a family situation could produce this kind of crime. They're gonna put me in the movie. I mean, I had no concept that this thing even exists in the world. For me to be so outraged, it was like someone's worst nightmare. They're harassing my father for no reason at all. We'll make a film about a man that's sad and lonely. The scenario posted by the media and the police was so incredibly way out. The very nature of these charges is so absurd. It was just generally a free-for-all. It's almost surreal. I don't think any of us had any notion of what was going on or what we were doing or where any of this was leading. He told us nothing happened. That's good enough for me. Nothing happened. All right, so before like we get into the case, and it gets into it pretty quickly in the movie, we sort of like meet the family. So take us through it. So we meet Elaine Friedman, the mother. Oh, my goodness. I just, do you have an impression? Arnold liked pictures. <laughs> in my head, she said, because I even rewound it, she says the pictures. But yeah. in my head, it's like Arnold liked pictures. Arnold liked pictures. I mean, that's, let's face it, he liked pictures. The whole time I was watching this, I was like, oh, Jillian, I'm, I'm sure she has. I'm sure she could do this. Well, you, yeah, well, the symp- we'll get into it, but the sympathy m- comes in more yes. for her. Oh, for sure. Yeah, even yeah. though she's a little, yeah. Elaine, come on. Open she your eyes, even Elaine. says at one point, she's like, I had kids. I couldn't do it. Yeah, like, you know, whatever. I'm like, I wasn't maybe the warmest mother, but I had kids and then I had them. I didn't know how to do it. And I wasn't the most well-balanced person myself. And even the way she introduces her sons, right? We had three sons. David, being the oldest, had a lot of responsibility when he was young. Seth was an outright rebel. And somehow Jesse was just like the the one that that keeps trying to catch up and doesn't, doesn't quite, quite make, make, it. make it. Ouch! <laughs> Totally. So immediately I'm like, oh, I know all, I know so much about this whole family. <laughs> I do have to say about the sons too, each one hotter and hairier than the next. I 
I disagree so much. I'm not, I do <laughs> back not. in the day. I feel like back in the day they were like they were they, they were like Long Island hot, Harry hot. I guess. I guess <laughs> if we must, but I can't. I just the feelings overcome the. I know. I can't do it. And we also meet Dad Arnold. Arnold but- or. Arnito Ray, depending on who you're asking. <laughs> what did we learn about him right quick? <laughs> he played Latin music. He went to Columbia University, and then when he graduated, he went to the Catskills to play in his band. He graduated from Columbia and went to play with his mambo band in the Catskills. <laughs> and he changed his name to Arnito Ray because, admittedly, Arnold Friedman really wouldn't go over as a mambo band I leader. I love that there's a shot of his business card. He had a business card. Made. I know. but I And I love that. I think it's so cool. Like, he, had, he was a band leader. Upsta- it's, very, it's very dirty dancing. Yeah. Oh, totally. So we, we understand right away that this fam- like the boys are really close. They all, like, hate their mother. Immediately, she had no sense of humor. The, uh, Arnold was so busy, he took up computer classes and piano lessons so he didn't have to spend time with his wife. And right. you're like, wow, everybody. The four of us got along so well. We had a very similar kind of sense of humor. You know, one guy would say something and then it would, then the next person would add to the joke. And my mother, who has no sense of humor, and she just didn't get that part of us. But then also you see these flashbacks and they, like, you know, I think that we we also learned that like she, what's her name Elaine Elaine is like the first woman Arnold ever dated. He was super awkward. Like there's this really awkward description that she has about them having sex. She's like Arnold. It's called foreplay. It's called foreplay. It's supposed to be play. It's supposed to be fun, and he treated it like work. They it's like read a to book. Be fun, right? Exactly. <laughs> She's like, there's play in it. <laughs> It's called playing. And so, like, we know that, like, it's it's all just very awkward. But, you know, you see that, like, on the outside, they have this ideal marriage. And there's all these beautiful, like, 50s videos of them, like, meeting and going on vacation and dancing and being really sweet with each other. Yeah. And because Arnold was a photographer, everything was cap- literally captured. Yeah. Capturing the Freedmans. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> Get it, everybody? Thanks, Andrew Jarecki. And it's true. This movie is, like, 90% home movies. Yeah. <clears throat> and we'll get to why in a little bit. Uh, Take us into <laughs> David's video diary, which sort of kicks off the whole thing. Yeah, before you even know what happens, really, we get this very angsty, <laughs> F-bomb-ridden <laughs> video diary. I will also say, like, he's sitting there in, like, a tight little t-shirt and a pair of, like, boxer shorts. With, like, the fly is, like, oh, I was like, he has no care of exposing himself. Right. It's between me now and me in the future. So turn it off. Don't watch this. This is private. If you're the fucking cops, go fuck yourselves. Go fuck yourselves because you're full of shit. And this is David. Yeah. So it's his video diary from 1988, which is like, you. Th- what a visual. <laughs> a video diary from 1988 it has a little date on the bottom. But he's like, if you're the fucking cops, you can fuck off. And he's screaming about how private it is. And I'm like, right. can we talk about video diaries real quick? Exactly. <laughs> if I ever watch this, I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know where I'm going to be. So this is the thing that, like, lets us understand that we're about to, like, get the... <laughs> the floodgates are about to open. Oh, so hard. And who is the lady detective that we meet? Francis Galasso, she... retired director of the sex crimes unit. <laughs> Just when you think everything is going to be dull, something gets dropped on your lap, you know, and it turns out to be something bigger than you ever than you ever thought. So here's the first thing we learn, right? So in 1984, U.S. Customs seized child porn from the Netherlands on its way to good old Arnito Ray, a.k.a. Mr. Friedman. Now, he never got that piece of mail, but his name was forwarded on to us. So 
what we would do then would be to initiate a correspondence with Arnold in the hopes that we can determine if he is in fact willing to violate the statute again about mailing or receiving child pornography. Arnold never gets the letter and he's immediately put on a list. The cops are like, we got to catch an eye, keep an eye out for this guy. So Arnold is like writing letters like, hey, just wondering where my child porn magazine is. And the cops then set up this like fake delivery. Like this guy, John McDermott, like dresses up as a postal inspector, as, as a like a FedEx guy. And is like, hey, sir, here's your child porn. <laughs> and Arnold Freeman's like, oh, cool, thanks. I dressed up as a mail carrier, knocked on his door, asked him if he was Arnold Friedman. He replied he was. I said, I had a package for you. Signed right here. He did. Have you noticed, too, in all these stories, Arnold is always home alone? He's always, got 15 yeah. kids and a wife, and he's always home by himself. <laughs> he's always home by himself. It's yeah. very strange. So then an hour, so he's like, hey, thanks, man. Thanks for the porn. And then the and then John McDermott goes on his way. And an hour later, John McDermott comes back, like, as himself. Yeah. He literally says, we decided to let him have a little time with the magazine. Which I was like, John. <laughs> gross. About an hour later, we went back. Give him some time uh, with the magazine. So then John comes back as himself, as a cop, and Arnold Friedman is like, hey, may I help you? And McDermott's literally like, do you not remember? I just delivered the child porn. It's like, don't you remember who I am? And I would think I would remember if Listen, someone was giving me like illicit you, material. If you had been you know? anxiously awaiting this magazine for weeks and months at a time. You wouldn't care who was giving it to you. Exactly. You'd just grab it. Okay. I have no experience in this arena, so I, I can't speak to any truth to that. Yeah. So then he's like, don't you remember me? I'm, I just delivered that porn to you. Also, I'm a cop. So excuse me, sir. We have a warrant. We're going to see your house. And I told him I have a search warrant uh, for child pornography. He says, there's nothing like that here. I said, you don't recognize me? I've just been at his door an hour ago. He goes, no. And I took off my jacket and I said, now do you recognize me? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, the magazine is upstairs. Meanwhile, Arnold's like, no no porn here. No porn here. Yeah, here, just take this one back and be on your way. He literally, the cop is like, he could not understand why we wouldn't just They're leave. like, sir, we have a search warrant. <laughs> Stop it. Clapping emojis. And right. so then... I love... In my brain, he goes and, like, leans against the piano. He's like... Doo, 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 doo. Yeah. It's like the derpy uh, Real Housewives music exactly. again. Like, I don't have any porn. Because they come over and they're like, well, let's look behind the piano. They open the piano and, like, stacks of kitty porn. <laughs> come, like, flying out. And then he's like, you know what? You know where there's definitely not kitty porn? That drawer over there. And they're like, sir, please. We've been through this. We are searching your home. Enough. In the top dresser drawer was the open magazine. So Elaine comes home, and she thinks they're searching for weed. Okay, Elaine. I thought they were searching, like, for marijuana or something. I didn't know what they were searching for, to tell you the truth. Then she says the thing. Then she's like, all right, so he had magazines. He never acted on it. He used them to meditate. <laughs> and it's not that he acted on these things he he just wanted to to look at these pictures and meditate or i was like it's pronounced masturbate elaine but whatever <laughs> meditate elaine so the detective realizes that he is a teacher that he teaches classes in the basement we found evidence of a computer class being taught there by mr friedman and we did seize some list of names that we thought 
could be students. I remember walking in there and saying, you know, God damn, we could have a problem here. So they like leave and like they give him like a month and they in that time they go and talk to the students and they come back. A prominent middle-aged teacher in a prosperous Long Island town is charged with sodomizing young boys who were his students. We rang the doorbell as soon as he realized who it was. Uh, he wasn't going to let us in. It is a circus that night when they they come back. It's like right. Funny you should say that because. <laughs> okay, this is insane. The police come back again. He's alone at the house. It's the day before Thanksgiving. It's the day. She's literally Elena's. Like I was out buying a turkey for Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, I was out to the store to buy a Thanksgiving turkey. Poor Elaine is like, always walk. Whenever she walks in the door, she must dread coming home. Just like, what the hell am I going to walk into now? So, so today she walks into. Yeah. So w- what exactly is happening in the So house? Arnold doesn't let them in. Right. They kick the door down. It's all the drama. <laughs> like, they actually kick the door in. Oh, one of the detectives broke the door down. Then Elaine comes home, and she's like, what's going on? Her husband's handcuffed. <laughs> she's, like, carrying bags of groceries. Yeah. Then we meet Joseph Orinato, who's the district attorney. And he's like, then we meet this character, David. When David came came to the house, we were able to ascertain eventually the type of business he was in. And we heard that he was involved in children's entertainment in the form of some sort of clown activities. So David had been away at college. David Friedman. Now, quick, quick side story. This this documentary was originally meant to be about him because he is a clown. He's the, at the time, was the number one New York City clown. And Jarecki... Not anymore. Was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jarecki was like, I'm going to make a documentary about this guy. And then he finds out all this backstory and that there's all this tape of it. Right. And he's like, I'm doing this now. Uh, yeah. So David is a little bit of a loose cannon. Again, I see a little bit of myself in David. No! <laughs> you know how we talk about how I can go from like zero to a hundred? Yeah, but you are panicky. You're not running around with underwear on your head screaming that you're an asshole, which everybody is exactly what David did. So David, they, so again, it's like David keeps trying to come into the house. Uh, he kept trying to come into the house, and I kept telling him that he couldn't, that he had to leave. He wasn't, wasn't allowed while we were searching. They keep having the same conversation with the Freedmans where it's right. just like, sir, please. <laughs> sir. So what does David do? He pulls out, as Francis says, fruit, fruit of the of looms, the underwear. puts them on his head. And he started prancing around, flailing his arms in the air, saying, look at me, look at me, I'm an asshole, I'm an asshole. And there's footage of this. Yes, this is, is not like embellished police reports. This is legit. They're harassing my father for no reason at all. I also love that there's another detective, Anthony Segulia, who was like, I, I was, was there, there when the clown, the clown came, came in. in. Yeah. He was was ranting and raving. raving. We had words. Told him to take a hike. I'm like, you're the greatest. Told him to take a hike. How New York cop is that? Told him to take a hike. The clown came in. Not even David. Not the son. Not his name. The clown. It's so hilarious. Because then the cops realize, whoa, hold on a second. Your dad has child porn all over the house. He's teaching students. And you are a clown in children's entertainment? Like, of course, any any logical person would be like, hello, are you recruiting? Yeah. Are you in on this? Exactly. And they're like, oh, no, it's Jesse. It's right. the other brother. So Jesse shows up. It's like the night before Thanksgiving, so all the kids are coming home from college. Right. Jesse gets there. There's some crazy story about how they're, like, evading the cops and the press, and they're like, somehow get into their backyard. And then the cops come out, and they're like, oh, you're Jesse? Come, we got some questions for you. Right. As we conducted more interviews of the children, Jesse's name started to pop up. And, and Jesse was there. And what did Jesse do? And then eventually we were able to ascertain that Jesse's role was not one of, you know, helping his dad conduct a computer class, but basically abusing the children himself. According to the kids that we learned from the police, 
Jesse was like the the, he was the, like the muscle. The brute. Like even the dad was like cowering in the corner. Right. And Jesse was like slapping all these kids around. And, <laughs> and like if you've seen this movie and you I can picture Jesse Freeman in your head. Like, please. <laughs> Mary, uh, please. Mary, please. So and also the, like the it it gets broken to the family like oh by the way your dad's also a pedophile and the they, there's this like weird scene with the mom where they show her like a magazine one of the magazines that was in his collection and they they're doing like little close ups of it so you we can't really see what it is but yeah. it's like clearly a much older man and a young boy well the magazine was like Joe and his uncle oh, the one yeah. the original one so and then John McDermott is like reading the names of what the <laughs> magazines are and I'm like John please stop talking something called chicken. Pickens magazine. So then Elaine is, you know, I, I understand it. She kind of can't even believe that magazines like this exist in the world. She's a little sheltered. Let alone that her husband would have it. Yeah. Like, I understand that shock of just like, okay, now my whole world, which I didn't really love all that much, is now <laughs> tumbling down. So they get taken in. They get taken to court. And they're everyone in the family is like, well, we're going to get this. Like, we'll get this figured out in five minutes and we'll, we'll be released. Nope. They get $1 million bail and they stay in jail. The only thought that I just kept having the whole night was we're gonna get bailed out and then we'll get home and we'll figure out what's going on and the lawyers will take care of this and they'll straighten this out because it was still just a matter of this is a big misunderstanding when the bail was set at a million dollars instead of going out with mom and david like we were supposed to we went back the other way and that was the moment when there was this whole new sense that the problem was much worse than I originally thought. And there's a 91 count indictment. That is yeah. no joke. Yeah. 91 counts for both of them. Yeah. And, and they've gotten this because they've gone around to all the kids in the computer classes and gotten their stories. So ultimately, they're in jail for like a month or something. And then they get sent home on like house arrest while they're awaiting their trial. Yeah. They say this is where David went out and bought a video camera. So now every minute of this, like, leading up to the trial is, like, documented. And they're just, like, living in this, like, insane asylum where they're all screaming at each other. (laughs) He's my husband. He doesn't belong to you. He's my father. He doesn't belong to you. He doesn't belong to anybody now. What, What is it? about this that makes you as a part of it want to document it because at one point they're like one day we'll laugh at this and i'm like will you (laughs) what about it is funny like feel relieved if you're totally innocent feeling relief yes laughing about it no it's crazy too because they say it over and over again it's just documenting this family just like falling apart i don't want to talk about this why are we talking about And now at this point in the documentary, we start to meet the vic- the victims. We're going to use air quotes. You can't see this, listeners. Yeah. I think this is a very, very fine line, blurry gray area between victim blaming yeah. and police not doing their job right and the truth. I think it's this is a very, very murky area. Yeah. Are you – I was thinking about this watching this. Are you on team something happened, we just don't know what, or nothing happened, or what? where, where are you on this? I'm on team – Inappropriate things were happening. I don't think the level of the complete brutality that that was described by some of the the reports. Yeah. I if I'm wrong, I, I don't know. Like I just I want to kind of on team nothing happened. Mostly but what, because, from what we learn later. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go through what these victims are saying. So um, the police are get, are building their case. So mm-hmm. they're they're interviewing these kids. One of the first things that we learn, like as they're setting the stage for this, is just like what a rich white town that they, they all live in. It's on the north shore of Long Island, which is usually a predominantly wealthy area. 
These are wealthy professional people that uh, have gone at a great deal of income in their lives, and they live accordingly. It's Great Neck, New York. I grew up in Whitestone, New York. Great Neck isn't that. I mean, it's not like Melrose or Beverly right, Hills. No. Like, calm down, Andrew Jarecki. Right. I was like, like I know Great teacher, Neck. Right? Like, yeah. I mean, it's not like. Great Neck is where my dad's physical therapy office is. Like, relax. <laughs> Have you ever run into a Friedman? I don't know. I don't think so. Oh but this God. was freaking me out because I lived in Whitestone at the time. So is I'm that just close like. By? 15 minutes away. Wow. Uh, just up Northern Boulevard, right? New Yorkers? <laughs> Anybody? Great. So the the information about the victims and the injuries are sort of sprinkled throughout. We're gonna we're gonna just like say everything here for the for the sake of continuity. Yeah. So basically, you know, we learned that that Jesse was like the evil one that was like beating these kids, and everyone was afraid. The only victims that we meet who claim things happened are like in shadow, right? And one of them, and this is like an image that I, I've seen this movie a million times, like with all of these documentaries. When I think about this movie, I think about this kid. He's like lounging on a on like on a on a couch. Right. Only his face is in shadow. Mm-hmm. He's wearing like the tackiest '90s like jean shorts. He sure is. Like everything he says is a little not accurate. Yeah. No, I don't it, know. He, he, very, he, like, he, contradicts he contradicts himself, himself so. for sure. Jinx. He's like, ha, yeah. get it, Jerecky Jinx. Hilarious. <laughs> True crime jokes, you guys. You True guys can't jokes. write this shit anyway. <laughs> Um, he says that like no raping happened. All the raping happened in the in Jesse's room and in the bathroom. Right, and it was just like inappropriate touching and groping. But then like two minutes later, he's like, "Oh, there was this like." And anybody who's seen this movie can like talk about the leapfrog game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I won't go into detail, but use your imagination, listeners. Naked leapfrog. That's Naked all you leapfrog. Need to know. That's yeah. And uh, and he's like, "That happened right out in the open." And Drecky's like, "Pause." Did you or did you not just say <laughs> that nothing happened out in the open? And then this kid's like, well, yeah, but this is different because this is like a group game. But that was doing that was a that was a group game. One on one contact happened in the bathroom. The game happened out on the floor. And it, it's very I mean, this happens. The, the question is, did the police question these children about what happened or did right. the police tell the children what they think? Because happened? we meet other kids that were in these computer classes that are like, what are they talking about? None of this. Ha- like I was none of this happened. And then this one guy, Ron, mm-hmm. who's like, yeah, this whole story is kind of weird. Like this. N- none of this happened. He's like, I do remember the police coming to my house. And what they said made my heart race because they were saying that uh, actually quite a few horrible things had happened to a lot of children. And I was one of them. And uh, quite honestly, I didn't believe it. And I was very confused and very angry about this, thinking, well, why are these people going around telling my parents that all kinds of things have happened when I have simply no recollection of anything? And there's another dad who said that he was, like, pressured by the community. The families that had their child molested or allegedly molested became very involved and took a greater part of their life at that point. I appreciated their call in the beginning, telling me what happened. And then when I told them that we looked into it, and my wife and I both felt that nothing happened to our son. It got to be a little pushy situation where they told us that we were in denial, and it absolutely happened to our son. And the cops were saying, sort of similar to that, that the parents were almost competing with yes. who was whose kid was abused the most, which is sick in and of itself. So that comes into play when we meet a woman, a journalist named Debbie Nathan, and she introduces the idea of hysteria. Yeah, she she introduces the idea of the McMartin abuse trial coverage, which was a big deal back then, and it was a preschool and a daycare sexual abuse scandal in L.A. in the late 80s, and it was the longest-running trial and the most expensive-running trial to date, and it sort of opened this door to everyone panicking about yeah. the 
where their children were being left and was that was anything happening and no one was charged in this case even though of course there are always weird things where it's like well that's strange yeah. and this sort of tied into it was like this little crossover between the like daycare sexual hysteria and the satanic panic yeah yeah like there was a time you guys where it was both yeah of course <laughs> it's horrible i know and so that's what they're saying what was going on in this case so debbie says she has this quote she says when a community defines itself as a victimized community that if you're not victimized, you don't fit into that community. But the biggest thing to me was the, the the assertion that there was no physical evidence. Like, so what they're saying, if this really happened to the degree that everyone is saying that it happened, that these boys were just coming to this computer class, being raped and being, you know, all beaten, all these horrible things happening, that they their pants would be soiled, they'd be bleeding from their orifices, their they would be crying. At least one kid would have spoken up and said something to their parent. Yeah, I'm a big evidence person. Yeah. And they're even the cops are like No, no physical evidence. There's really no physical evidence. There was a dearth of physical evidence. I, I don't even recall whether there was any physical evidence that would have indicated one way or another that these events took place. But there are things like, speaking of Debbie Nathan, Arnold writes to her. Yeah. And admits things that he admits to other people about his sexual experiences and and desires, we'll say. And, well, desires. And also, so he says, like, as he was growing up, like, there's all of this weird stuff about, like, oh, my goodness, we have to talk about Queen Howard. His brother. Oh, his brother, Queen Howard. Queen Howard, who, like, you, can you do your Queen Howard impression? My brother was guilty. I sat there in, in disbelief. Is this my brother? My brother? This isn't my brother. He's not a monster. There is no award for best actor in a documentary, no. Howard. And I just just to talk to talk about Howard for one minute, like he's Arnold's brother, who is like his interview is sprinkled throughout the film, and then in the end, it's revealed that he has a partner who's a man, and they, they live in Oregon. And I was like, that was a reveal, Jarecki. Like the second I saw him, the first time I was like, oh, who's this queen? Yeah. Happy Pride. Yeah. Well. <laughs> and of course they have a dog. And whenever yeah. the partner mentions Arnold name, Arnold's name, the dog's like, and I'm like, yes. <laughs> so anyway, Arnold writes to this journalist and he is telling her that, you know, when he was a kid, he fooled around with his brother. The brother's like, I have no memory of that. And Arnold was also saying that his mother would bring boyfriends home and they lived in this small apartment. And yeah. whenever they had sex, it was either in the same room or the same bed yeah. as Arnold. And then he was also saying that as he grew up, he was, like, falling in love with boys. And then as he was getting older, like, the the boys, like, the age level of the boys he was falling in love with had stayed the same. So, basically, he's admitting to becoming a pedophile. He was scared that he was going to molest his own children. Right. And then we find out, and this is one of the most egregious things that we find out, is that, like, he they have a vacation house somewhere. Somehow, on this guy's, like, teacher salary, they have this, like, beautiful house and a vacation house. <laughs> whatever. Know, whatever. And he, like, openly admits to molesting two boys in that community yeah he says i literally fell in love with these boys yeah in my early 40s during the summer i did go quote over the line and did have sexually arousing contact with two boys short of sodomy and then it cuts to david his son and he's like i don't know he gets real aggro about it that's a, it's one sentence so what does that mean what do you fucking know what that sentence means i don't even fucking know what that sentence means i sexually aroused what the fuck is he talking about Maybe he was uh, took him in the sailboat, and he found that sexually arousing. Maybe he was uh, leaning against a tree. That's called sexually arousing contact. If you're sexually aroused while you lean against a tree, he's so he says. I mean, if you guys want to get hammered, have a drinking game. Drink whenever David says my father never did anything wrong ever. <laughs> so anyway, while they're collecting all of this information through, you know, the interviews with these victims, which uh, you know may or may not have happened. 
They're locked in their house, getting ready for trial. Okay. <laughs> so in in the home, I mean, we just have like a front row seat to the mania. It's so it's mania. Yeah, and and the whole idea is that the mom doesn't believe the dad, and she's suddenly the bad guy for this. She is right. now the villain <laughs> in the story of the guy with the child born. Right. Exactly. And everyone wanted me to say he didn't do it. Well, I wouldn't do that. I said, I don't know. And I didn't. They wanted me just to lie, you know, and say he didn't do it, whether I believed it or not. And I was so angry at Arnold and what he'd done that I wouldn't do it. And I said, well, I don't know. Because she doesn't believe him. Because she, he's never really been that honest with her. Right. Like, they go to therapy and she's like, oh, you... You know, you had feelings for one boy. You had sexual experiences with one boy. And Arnold's like, actually, it was more than one. And so Elaine is going through her head and she's like, wait a second. Yeah. Who is this guy who I married? And what a monster she is for thinking that and maybe not wanting to be filmed and wanting some space. You weirdo monsters. And the sons are awful to her. Screaming at her. You made him sleep on the couch. Yeah. God forbid. Why don't you tell me why you're being so pessimistic and why you're not standing behind your family? And why you don't believe us? I don't believe your father because your father has never been honest with me. And I don't know where the truth is at this point. You're so fucking stupid! Don't scream! I mean, calling her stupid. Yeah. I mean, just saying it's her fault. I mean, victim blaming yeah. to to uh, on a level that I've I've never ever ever seen before yeah. in my life. Even the journalist is like, well, in other families that I've written about, like those families have been much stronger. They first of all, they've started from an, a monolithic feeling of innocence, which didn't exist in this family because of Arnold's pedophilia, and. They just buckle down and everybody gets behind the defendant, the accused family member. People quit their jobs and, you know, people are all sitting around the kitchen table for the next three years with staplers and Xerox machines. And they're working on um, the defense. And then when the um, defendant is convicted, they're working on the appeal and all family conflict is submerged. Even Francis is like, they're dysfunctional. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Put that in your report, Francis. And then they're also talking, the sons are like, they're talking about legal things that they know nothing about. Right. They're totally speculating. But they're talking about the case, like Arnold's case and sentence in front of Arnold, like he's not even there. <laughs> so at one point, they're like, no, no, no. If he goes away on state charges, he's not coming back. <laughs> and, and then pants. slow zoom <laughs> on Arnold, just like, hello. <laughs> I am right here. Yeah. So then at, at this point, what they're trying to decide is, is Arnold, it looks bad for Arnold because there were some kids that were going to, that were in the computer class that were going to testify saying nothing happened, but then they did, then they weren't going to testify. And he is a pedophile with all these disgusting kitty magazines. And so now they're, they're trying to decide if he should just like plead guilty and try to like save Jesse. I think there was a recognition that Arnold's case was becoming increasingly hopeless because of the child pornography problem, because of other people coming out of the woodwork. So the strategy evolved to what can we do to save Jesse? Jesse's lawyer very eloquently said to us, if there's a rowboat and it's sinking and the rowboat is tied to a rock, 
you have to disconnect the rowboat from the rock and save the rowboat even though the rock is sinking, meaning you had to separate Arnold from Jesse, and Arnold was going to plead, and Jesse would in some way benefit. So then because of this, David thinks that the mother is now manipulating Arnold into making these bad legal decisions. Right. And boy, does he have a lot to say about it. (laughs) My mother manipulated him. My mother is crazy, and my mother has control over my father. Some relationships have that, where the woman controls the man. It's called being pussy-whipped. My father and my mother are not the only two people in the world who have that relationship. My father and mother had that relationship. My mother and the lawyers said, take the plea. They took the plea. Pussy-whipped. That is... Doesn't... Weren't you the one that just like five <laughs> seconds ago said that they had sex three times? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, right. Put, put, what? What? What now? What? Yeah. I'm sorry, what? So ultimately, Arnold pleads guilty. He, he's got no case. Um, so he pleads guilty, gets 10 to 30 years. And th- then there's like all this crazy video footage of the night before he turns himself in. They have like an old-fashioned piano party. It's crazy. They're having the gr- a grand old time. <laughs> They're making like stop animation movies. Yeah. And I'm like, wait. What? And Elaine, again, the, what a monster, really doesn't feel like being on camera tonight. Some right. weird reason. I wonder why. <laughs> don't, please don't film me. I, David, I told you, I don't want to be on tape. Okay, so he turns himself in, and now now we're basically just preparing for Jesse's trial. Jesse gets Foxy Lawyer, what's his name? Peter Panero. Peter Panero. Who honestly seems like the first person to come into this movie and be like on the ball. He's like, <laughs> we're going to go see Arnold. He's got like no one knows this case better than him. We're going to go to the jail. Jesse and I went. We flew in August of 1988 all the way to Madison, Wisconsin, where we rented a car and drove 90 miles to some town that I couldn't possibly give you the name of to a federal prison. Who knew more about this case than Arnold Friedman? And they're like, we had to wait to see him because he's like either playing tennis or golf. I was outraged. I screamed, what? (laughs) When I was watching this, like in what world? There's a picture of him standing in front of the prison on like a regular prison day where he's like, like it looks like he's gardening. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, he only had magazines. Exactly. But so they finally get in. So Jesse waits outside and the lawyer Panero and and uh, and Arnold sit down in like a meeting room for a conversation of what happens, Jillian Pensavalli. So they're talking, and in the middle of the conversation, Arnold's like, "I just got to stop you real quick. <laughs> Can we move over? Why do you want to move over? Because that little kid over there. Who's, How old is he? He's like a child. He's like a, four. He's like four years old, single digit age. Yeah. Who's visiting his dad and is bouncing on his dad's knee. It's getting me super hot. <laughs> so we have to move. <laughs> And then we cut to Peter Panero, and he's like, never in my life have I... It took me about 15 minutes to regain my composure. I remember that like it was yesterday. I was shocked. Because even though I was involved in the case now for two months, and even though I had studied pedophilia, and I knew what these men did to little boys, I had never heard somebody actually say it. And it's true. Like, can you imagine actually hearing that while he's like, so by the way, like nothing at all happened. So when you hear things, he did admit to having sexual 
encounters with younger boys. Yeah. Where, what his thought process was. I don't think it was as brutal as what kids were describing because, again, there's no physical evidence. Right. But, like, were there, like, sexy and appropriate video games on the computer? Probably. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. Were there magazines around to see if anyone was into it? Because that's what they do. They, yeah. like, show you the sexy mag or whatever, like, not sexy at all to <laughs> normal people, but, like, sexy to them. And if the kids are into it, you know? So, like, I think that's what was going on because he it seems to tell anyone who'll listen yeah. that he's into this kind of shit. <laughs> he's not saying no, David. So when you scream, my father did absolutely nothing. He never broke the law. Like, he did, and he's admitting it, and yeah. you're the only one who won't get it. Don't, aren't you late for a children's birthday party? <laughs> It's insane. And this is where the cops are like, we never said anything about protecting Jesse. We didn't make a deal with Arnold Friedman to spare his son. So his son is facing a multiple count indictment. He's facing a considerable amount of jail time. And now he's confronted with a situation where Long Island knows that his father admitted his guilt and is a reasonable human expectation of some people that, uh, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And if he did it, Maybe his son did it. He was, we know he was in the same class and he was helping his father. So I think that was a, a difficult thing for Jesse to have to overcome. And yes, of course, like the headlines in all of the newspapers for the last two years have been like, father admits to sodomizing 40 children and torture and sexual right. torture and whatever. Jesse's like, there's no way I'm going to get a fair jury. Um, but he's been maintaining his innocence this whole time. So he's afraid that Panero won't. Um, get a plea. He's, Panero says, Jesse had always maintained his innocence. I don't work out deals for people who are innocent. So Jesse's like, well, I have to tell you something. And with tears rolling down his eyes, literally, he told me that he was abused by his father growing up and that not everything he had said about nothing happened was true. And then it cuts to modern day Jesse. Jesse's like, all of that was Panero's idea. Peter Panero was personally convinced that my father had sexually abused me. And nothing I could say could dissuade Peter from this notion. He came up with this strategy. It was Peter Panero's fictionalized story that he fed to me and said, if you say this, it's going to look good for you. Which I don't like. All I know about the Freedmans is that they lie constantly. Right, Totally. So, or that their their version of reality is pretty warped. Yeah. I really can't imagine that this lawyer would make a, I, I don't know. May, am I being naive about no, it? No, I, I think it's very complicated. I have no idea. There's, there's no way to know. Because here's what makes it complicated, right? So Peter Panero is like, this is, this is what Jesse told me. So this is, we're going to move forward. Then this is the thing that makes me insane. So it's the night before Jesse's guilty plea right yeah more home video yeah another grand old time where yeah. they're like they're having the best time because they're screaming at their mother that's right. like how they define fun and this is when the mother is like get out of my house yeah yeah, yeah. finally <laughs> elaine finally i don't want to have to spend the next eight hours screaming with my sons and fighting shut with up. them shut up i want them out of this house tomorrow morning you're here for jesse i don't give a shit I want you out of this house tomorrow morning. Jesse, but what we are you here talking for about? Jesse. What Don't are you all talking about here? Can't That's you put your anger aside for one minute? I cannot put my anger aside about you. You have been nothing but hateful, hostile, and angry ever since this began. 
So then on the way to the courthouse, right? Again, they're filming it. Jesse's like, nothing happened. Nothing ever happened. I don't know how to prove it. And they're joking where they're like, well, if the cops say it's true, ha ha ha. Yeah. They're all there. It's a barrel of laughs, right? Uh, you a child molester, Jess? Nope. Did you ever do it? Never touched a kid. Did you do what they said you did? I never touched a kid. I never saw my father touch a kid. Good. Yeah, but still, you must have done it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but surely something has happened. So then, though, it's also being filmed when Jesse is putting in the plea, and And here come the waterworks. My father raised me confused about what was right and what was wrong, and I realize now how terribly wrong it all was. I, I wish I could have done something to stop it sooner. I wish there was something I could have done. I'm very, I'm good. I'm just so sorry it happened. Yeah. I didn't know any better. I didn't know between right and wrong. Yeah. I thought this was right. And I'm yeah. like, so what the fuck, dude? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I also love, too, that, like, in Jesse's mind and in, in his brother's minds, he's completely innocent. So they're outside waiting for him to go in and make his guilty plea. They are hamming it up. Yeah. My brain hurts. It'll have to come out. <laughs> I bring it, I'm using it. <laughs> They're like doing like Monty Python bits. They're like dan- it's the most obnoxious thing ever. I mean, what the police people are looking. They're like to the police. These these guys just look like heartless sociopaths. Right. They were taking pictures. I remember someone brought that to my attention. We looked out the window because I'm saying I was thinking to myself, it's very bizarre. I mean, he's he's about to go to jail for the next six to eighteen years, <laughs> and he's out on the courtroom steps in some sort of theatrical performance. So then we go into the courthouse, again, still filming, and Jesse's like, you see the parents coming out from like a meeting in the judge's chamber. The parents of the alleged victims, victims, whoever. Exactly. And they're still joking within earshot of these parents, and one of the dads like tackles Jesse. Yeah, but they like the Friedman kids are taunting these parents. Yeah, they are. It's the most obnoxious thing ever. So one dad loses it. Yeah. Because it's like, in their mind, Arnold Freeman just pled guilty. Jesse just pled guilty. And now you're here dancing and laughing and, like, taunting me. Right, right. And then Jesse plays the, like, save me. He's an animal. Oh, my God. (laughs) And I'm like, dude, you're the worst. I know. I know. You can be the most innocent person on the planet, but, like, show respect for these people who have been through... Something crazy, something as crazy as what you've been through. Right, exactly. Because either their sons were abused or they weren't. You're guilty or you're not. Right. You guys have a very similar experience. <laughs> exactly. Grow up. You're so <laughs> obnoxious. I cannot stand you. So he ends up getting what, like nine it, to 18 years or something? Six to 18. Six to 18 years. And the judge, I love that they were like, well, we were hoping the judge would be lenient. And she's like, nope, not today, Satan. Mm-mm. Judge Bachlin sternly looked down and said that she recommended to the parole board that he serve the maximum period of time permitted by law. Then we find out that Arnold has like a life insurance policy and if he kills himself, Jesse gets $250,000. I wonder what he does. Kills himself. Great. Yeah. (laughs) Jesse gets the money. uh, And in the end... Like, well, in the end, we meet Queen Howard and his partner and their their dachshund, who live in Portland. Right. I feel I will never really know the truth. But the one truthful thing or the honest thing we know, Howard loved his brother. Howard loved his family. Loves his family. Um, we see the mom gets remarried. 
happiest she's ever been in our life. Moves to the Berkshires because <laughs> she's getting the hell out of and Long And they call Island. it like the peace cabin yeah, or like, exactly. or the like, I'm finally happy and free cabin, yeah, whatever. Exactly. We named the cottage Peaceful Pond Cottage because we were looking for a place of healing and peace. Um, brother Seth, we never meet. He's just gone. We don't know anything about him. Yeah, we hear him screaming at the mother occasionally, but yeah. that's really all the feedback we have from him. And then it ends on the one of the creepiest things I've ever seen. Which is? Which is David creepily singing Let Me Entertain You. Yeah. Um, not even the like, not even when baby june is perky about it right not even when gypsy is sexy about it at these the are end theater of the references guys it's, it's, a, it's a song from a musical yes yeah, sorry 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 it's just this slow creepy yeah. like let me <laughs> let me entertain you let me make you smile and I'm like, and it's poorly sung, poorly. It's like playing with like one key yeah. each. And it's like, and then he's complaining. You try having to entertain children when this <laughs> happened to you. And I'm like, poor you. I know. I can't it's handle it. So let me entertain you. Well, Jillian Pensavalli. Patrick Hines. Tell the people what we're doing next. We are doing the Amanda Knox documentary that is on Netflix. <laughs> there is one thing that is the grossest thing in the history of all um, true crime situations that's a part of that story. Yeah, we're going to have to talk about poop next week. <laughs> You guys, if you are loving our episodes, will you do us a favor? Will you share your favorite episode on your social media? Or, and or, will you uh, write a review and rate us on iTunes? I've been reading them, like, I'm obsessed with our reviews on iTunes. They're so great. Amazing. And I love it. Like, it, it warms my heart every time you guys write one. Yeah. Find us on Twitter at True Crime Obsess, no ED. Uh, and everything else you can find at truecrimeobsessed.com. You can email us your suggestions um, and just, like, say hi. Yeah. You guys are so great on Twitter. It's the best time. I know. We're having so much fun. Yeah. All right. We love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.